Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Did you know that up until 2010, cruise ships weren't actually required to report any crimes that took place at sea? The industry seemed to love these laws because hey, why report a federal crime if it's gonna make them look bad? Even now, laws over a century old protect them from needing to pay out those who've been hurt. And the cruise ship industry has lobbied against anyone that attempts to change this. If you thought the way the industry handled the pandemic was bad, just wait until you hear how they've consistently handled their passenger safety throughout the years. Hello everyone and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati and today we're going to be talking about the cruising industry as a whole. We'll start with a brief background of how the cruising industry came to be before we talk about how they've evolved into a floating Petri dish during the pandemic and were not really required to take virtually any shred of responsibility for it. So let's get started. Many old cruise lines started off as shipping companies. They had the massive boats, so, you know, why not make money out of it? Though these ships have carried immigrants since the 1800s, actual pleasure cruises didn't begin until about the turn of the century in 1899. The Orient Steam Navigation Company entered the business before anyone else, seemingly out of necessity. You see, back in 1891, their position as a company was, quote, nothing short of disastrous. Freight rates had declined, and so they needed to find a way to use their older vessels. There were definitely some hiccups along the way though, or perhaps not hiccups, but massive roadblocks or ocean blocks. I think you get the idea. The Great Depression saw passenger numbers decline. And when the first ever commercial nonstop transatlantic flight took place in 1958, cruising fell even further. But obviously cruising wasn't going anywhere without a fight. Some sources claim that the true modern day cruise experience began in the 1960s. It officially transformed into a luxury entertainment vacation, which planes don't really offer. The 70s television series, The Love Boat, also sent the message that cruises could be a romantic, relaxing getaway. As the industry continued to grow and change over the years, governmental agencies started to step in, at least to some extent. Back in 1975, the CDC established the VSP, or Vessel Sanitation Program, to prevent and control the spread of gastrointestinal illnesses on cruise ships. A few years later in 1978, the MARPOL protocol was adopted in response to a number of oil tanker incidents. This introduced stricter regulations for the survey and certifications of ships. But let's fast forward to today. What's wrong with the cruise industry really? We've all heard about how getting sick can be common on cruise ships. So perhaps expectedly, the cruising industry came under immense scrutiny during the pandemic. Carnival Cruise would not confirm how many people tested positive on its cruise ship. Outbreaks on cruise ships. Some ships returning to port after being refused permission to to make its way on board. One woman describing a recent experience as traveling in a petri dish line, reporting COVID breakouts on board. The wave fueled by Omicron. Passengers. 
Though cruise ships have always had their issues, the industry as a whole began making national headlines when they were forced to quarantine during the pandemic. They were in essence floating Petri dishes and thousands of people became infected because of it. Tragically, hundreds of them passed away too. The Miami Herald reported in early 2020 that over a third, 34% to be exact, of cruise ships had COVID cases. The entire industry had 3,908 cases and 111 deaths at that time. The CDC actually warned travelers to stay away from cruise ships, yet the industry sailed on. Dr. Roderick King, CEO of the Florida Institute for Health Innovation stated this in regards to the cruise industry at large. Public health experts like the CDC are providing guidance to stop your cruising, start measuring and testing people and not leave port. You can, from an ethics standpoint, ask the question, was it morally appropriate to create a false sense of security for people getting on? The Miami Herald even published data about just how transparent the industry was at the time. The vast majority of the cruise companies they discussed neglected to report 100% of their COVID cases. It doesn't get any worse than that. Three cruise lines, Pontant, Sea Dream, and Virgin Voyages reported all of their cases. MSC reported almost 100% of them and Carnival Corporation almost 50%. But again, nine more reported no cases at all. Multiple ships did have a case on one voyage, then kept traveling. The number of cases obviously shot up after the first voyage. To reiterate, people were dying from COVID, much was still unknown about the virus at the time, and the ships kept sailing. Their attitudes seemed to cross from blissfully ignorant to downright negligent at times. The Washington Post actually published a photo that shows hundreds of cruise ship passengers standing together to honor healthcare workers. No one is social distancing or wearing masks. They don't seem to have a care in the world while a 75-year-old man, David Nystrom, spent the last four days of his voyage on that same ship in the medical clinic with his wife. I wouldn't blame the passengers for neglecting to take precautions though. The crew consistently lied to them. David says that the ship's captain continually made announcements that their ship, the Celebrity Eclipse, was a healthy ship with no coronavirus. Perhaps the crew really did believe they were just colds or some other viruses, but for company officials to insist everything was fine without doing their due diligence, it's no wonder the cruise industry has found itself embroiled in controversy because of this. I can only imagine how insulting it must've been for David to sit in the clinic, tending to his sick wife while hearing those announcements about how the ship was healthy and no one needed to be concerned. He too doesn't seem to buy their excuses. If they honestly thought that all these people who were getting sick had colds and bronchitis and pneumonia, I don't know what to say, he said. There's one photo that I found especially chilling in one of my sources, which shows a cruise passenger aboard the ship, the Coral Princess, holding up a sign that reads, test me to the photographer as the ship is docked. Finally, the CDC put a no-sale order in place in April to finally stop all cruise lines, and it was initially set to expire August 1st. Carnival Cruise Line announced that they may resume sailing the following week, despite the vast amount of onboard infections. Along the way, the cruise industry seemed to push back against restrictions, calling the government's limits an overreaction and expressing concern about the new rules. Edmund Barlett, Jamaica's Minister of Tourism, told the Washington Post that, quote, I think cruise lines in general were challenging the whole process of the elevated protocols that were being forwarded by all destinations. Those within the cruising industry itself, like Roger Frizzle, chief communications officer at Carnival, said that they were just looking for additional understanding, though it truly didn't come across that way to the outsiders looking in. Medical experts said they were irresponsible for not being proactive while the cruise industry was in denial. MSC Cruises said they had no reason to believe they contributed to any outbreaks. But the numbers don't lie. David Nystrom tested positive for COVID. Ships that passengers believed were virus-free had people getting sick. 
The ship we mentioned a moment ago, the Coral Princess, had two deaths before it actually docked in Miami, where the photo of that passenger stating test me was taken. Truly, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be on those ships, essentially trapped and not knowing what was going on. Thankfully, I was able to find a detailed firsthand account of Gay Quarter's experience in February, 2020, and she described it as follows. My husband, Phil, and I spent five days in Japan before setting out on the Diamond Princess. For two weeks, we enjoyed dances, shows, and other cruise activities. We then heard that a passenger who had disembarked in Hong Kong had tested positive for the new virus edging its way out of China. Quarter's captain said there might be some delays and passengers needed to be tested and temperatures checked. Examining a ship full of people would take time. They estimated would be at least an additional 24 hours. We could roam the ship, we were told. We did, but opted to avoid the crowded buffet. The next morning, the captain announced that a 14-day quarantine had been imposed and said we were not allowed to leave our rooms. Six hours later, a steward brought a meager breakfast of two yogurt cups, two bottles of water, and two scoops of fruit salad. The luxury cruise was over. We were prisoners in a posh penitentiary. The captain's voice had become wearier as he relays on grim statistics. 10 new cases of infection, another 10, 41. A total of 64, then 135, then 218. I am 75 and my husband is 77. With my insulin supply dwindling, I tried to order more through the ship, but got nowhere for a week. Quarter was able to get some insulin sent to her through a doctor friend, and she claimed that she and her husband were simply handed thermometers and told to report any high readings. But she has no idea if people will truly self-report as instructed. We don't know why everyone on board, especially the crew, was not tested immediately, she says. Even if the testing supplies are limited or expensive, isn't this the kind of dire situation they'd be needed for? 24 days after Gay and Phil were quarantined, the number of cases rose to 700 and the deaths reached six. But at last, the end was in sight and Quarter was brought to an Air Force base in San Antonio. As you can probably imagine, the way these ships handled the COVID outbreak led to a significant number of lawsuits. Lucio Gonzalez, 23, was also on a Princess Cruise Line ship. His ship was named the Grand Princess when he had these symptoms. Despite the Princess ship's parent company, Carnival, having these massive issues in February, they downplayed the risk of contracting the virus. Lucio passed away on March 27th, 2020, and his son, Miguel, says that there's no doubt in my mind that he contracted it on that ship. Yet, while these cases might seem cut and dry, they've proven to be incredibly complicated. According to the LA Times, judges have been tough on plaintiffs sued over COVID exposure on cruise ships. Not only do they have to prove exactly how these victims were exposed, but exactly how the cruise ship was negligent. As this is an incredibly difficult feat, many cases have been dismissed. Those that succeed were settled for less than $10,000. The LA Times also explains that Lucio and other passengers have a ticket contract with cruise lines. Not only does it prohibit class action suits, but requires that cases not involving personal injury, illness, or death be resolved through binding arbitration and sets deadlines for filing lawsuits against them. Basically, cruise ships have already had these protections in place for some time. And now when COVID proved to be such a massive issue, it became more public just how difficult suing them really is. Cruise lines have also been able to argue that at the beginning of the pandemic, no one really knew what the best public protocols were. As we mentioned earlier, masks and quarantining were still up in the air at the start of 2020. So it stands to reason that they didn't know what to do either. But again, not making it perfectly clear that there was a risk of transmission and not investigating these earlier cases still sounds like negligence to me, in my opinion. Lucio's family argues that the Princess Cruises were aware of the risks after the outbreaks they experienced in February, but they didn't change their protocols to try and warn anyone. The lawsuit alleges that, quote, leadership at Princess and Carnival were well aware of what to look for in high-risk situations and knew how to advise passengers. 
But as plaintiff here would discover, the defendants did not apply their lessons from the Diamond Princess to subsequent cruises. While the cases sued against cruise lines for emotional distress only have been called trivial, these deaths certainly should be far more consequential. However, as the Miami Herald explained, cruise ships really don't have much to fear legally. After all, cruise ships have a history of outbreaks even before the pandemic, and since they're exempt from class action suits, it makes them all the more harder, if not downright impossible, to fight them. The more you dig though, the more it turns out that this is simply the way the cruise industry has always been, and as some have put it, the system is rigged. Not only is there the matter of class action suits to contend with, but in the cruise industry, there's questions of jurisdictions on international waters. Plus, cases involving deaths are governed by the Death on the High Seas Act, a 102-year-old law that limits damages collected by the family of a passenger who died because of negligence to financial losses only, not for pain and suffering. Therefore, if someone dies on board a cruise, you might get the funeral costs back, but that's typically it. The Florida Bar explains that this act has been outdated for a while now. Back in 1920, when the act was actually created, wrongful death laws generally provided only economic damages, AKA the funeral costs. Punitive damages, legal recompense that would be added to economic damages are not recognized by the Death on the High Seas Act. One source even explains that when President Woodrow Wilson signed the DOSA, it was meant to benefit widows and dependents of seamen who died working on ships on international waters. Pleasure cruises weren't all that common yet, so personally, I think it's ridiculous that we're still using this act when it's not even for its intended purpose. The calculations with this act aren't even the same as they would be on land either. Normally, this kind of wrongful death case might calculate a total of what you might expect to earn over your life, which could be hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. Instead, this act calculates what you would have left after you spend down your earnings. So when an older retired person passes away, that's why the recovery is often pretty minimal at best. Even if you do manage to sue the cruise industry, it's complicated to know where to file the suit in the first place. For example, let's say you live on the East Coast and took a cruise with Princess Cruises. Lawsuits against them have to be filed in the Central District Court of California. So even if you don't live there, you're automatically at a disadvantage. ABA Journal says, while that may seem unfair that the defendants get to choose the location for the suit, the Supreme Court upheld cruise line forum selection clauses back in 1991 and said that Florida, where Carnival Cruises require plaintiffs to file suits, is not fundamentally unfair. ABA also says there are a boatload more challenges and claims in this area of the law that is so unique that a novice lawyer can permanently sink an otherwise meritorious case easily. ABA adds that Carnival Corp, the parent of Princess Cruise Lines, Royal Caribbean Cruises, and Norwegian Cruise Holdings are the three biggest cruise lines out there, carrying about 80% of all passengers. It stands to reason that their lawyers would be experts at this kind of tricky, specific maritime law, making things harder still for families seeking justice. Plus, given the short one-year statute of limitations, some lawyers have to file suits for clients that are still undergoing medical treatment. One attorney, Meister, explains to the journal that, quote, I get a lot of phone calls from unfortunate souls who thought they had a regular injury claim and didn't know they needed to give written notice within six months and file a suit in federal court within a year. There's nothing I can do to help them. They've blown it. But the cruise industry loves their laws the way they are, and they spend millions of dollars to keep this in place too. In 2000, Congress acknowledged it was out of date and amended it to apply 12 miles away from the U.S. ashore, not only three, and also allow for non-pecuniary or non-economic damages. Yet, likely due to the cruise ship industry's influence, the amendment only applied to commercial aviation passengers, not cruise lines. 
Just a few years ago in 2019, Senator Deb Fischer sought to change this and introduced a bill called Hammer's Law. So these provisions would include cruise ship passengers. These kinds of bills have been introduced before, but struck down time and time again, thanks to cruise line lobbying. Many cruise lines use hundreds of thousands, if not almost millions when they do. So, you know, they're giving it all to former government officials. So nothing's gonna happen. You know the deal. Unfortunately, things don't get much better from here. It's clear that COVID exposed some issues with the industry, but considering these laws have been in place since the beginning of cruising, there's far more beneath the surface. Please know that this next chapter and portion of the episode will discuss sexual assault and suicide in some detail. I'm gonna go ahead and place the ad sponsor here to give you a couple moments to think about if you'd like to continue with the episode and hear some of the more graphic details of what goes on in the cruise industry. So with that being said, here's where I'm gonna go ahead and place our sponsors for today's episode. And then when we return, we're going to be discussing sexual assault, missing people, and all of the underbelly of the cruise industry. Today's episode is sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Now, all of us shop online, especially due to the pandemic, we all have had to do it at some point. And sometimes when you're shopping around and going to all sorts of different stores virtually, it's hard to keep track of who has coupons and when. That's where Honey comes in. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. Recently, I started up a new D&D session again. And obviously when you're playing D&D and having a D&D night, you gotta have pizza. So we were ordering pizza online and found that Honey actually can apply coupons to that. And I got like a 30% discount on my pizza. So that means a good session, delicious pizza and amazing savings. And Honey doesn't just work on desktop anymore. It works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and you can even save on the go. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. And I'd never recommend something I don't use. And I've been using Honey at this point for five, six years, something crazy like that. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash casket. Again, that's joinhoney.com slash casket. Saying goodbye to high interest credit card debt is one of the first steps towards financial independence. But the interest month after month can feel like you're in a never ending hamster wheel. Well, that's where Upstart comes in because we've all been there. Seemingly out of nowhere, you maybe just get hit by an unexpected expense or bill and that was just not in your budget this month. And when it happens, it can feel like the weight of the world is coming down and crushing you. And again, Upstart's here to help because Upstart powered personal loans can help you pay down high interest debt. It's all online with simple and easy to understand payment terms. And Upstart has helped over 1.8 million customers on their path to financial freedom. So it doesn't matter if you're paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or just funding some personal expenses. Upstart can help you get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. And Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score. So rather than just looking at your score alone, Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to help you find a smarter rate for your needs. Don't wait and check your rate today at upstart.com slash casket. That's upstart.com slash casket to check your rate today. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash casket. As early as 2007, the LA Times reported that the cruise industry had dark waters, namely sexual assaults. 
From 2003 to 2005, 178 passengers on North American cruises reported being sexually assaulted, 66 of which occurred on Royal Caribbean cruises. Yet international records revealed that at least 273 people told Royal Caribbean they'd been victims of sexual assault, battery, harassment, and inappropriate touching during a shorter time period. Royal Caribbean, it seems, just completely neglected to report a vast majority of these cases. Since no single agency tracked cruise crime data at the time, and US courts have ruled that cruise lines don't have a legal duty to investigate crimes, what is the incentive to act? Of course, cruise ships don't want a reputation of being dangerous, despite basically being massive parties in the first place, so they do nothing instead. One teenager said she was drunk on a Carnival cruise and lured to a cabin with two men where they raped her, and Carnival simply denied the allegations and paid an undisclosed amount to make it go away. One woman, Kimberly Edwards, was on the Majesty of the Seas when a drunk man followed her into the bathroom and shoved his hand into her crotch and grabbed her breasts. Kimberly said her fiance told the ship's security personnel what happened, but Kimberly says they told her, quote, guys get drunk all the time and go into the ladies' room, just deal with it. But things get even darker. A 40-year-old woman, Marion Carver, vanished during a 2004 Alaskan cruise. Royal Caribbean did nothing for five weeks. By the time they reported her missing, the cruise ended, and it was a week after her parents, Carol and Ken Carver, contacted the cruise line to see what happened to their daughter. One room steward told his supervisor that Marion was missing for five days, but he was allegedly told to just continue to do your job. And if that isn't alarming enough, just listen to what a Royal Caribbean spokesperson said about the situation. The sad reality is that in any case where parents lose a child, even an adult child, there's probably nothing we or any company could do that would make the parents feel the company had acted sensitively enough. And really, that's, that's all you could think up to say. There actually is something they could have done, report her as missing. Carol Carver says she believes Royal Caribbean never actually intended to tell anyone and called them heartless. Executives claims that Marion attempted suicide, seeing as she bought a last minute ticket, boarded with few belongings, and once attempted a previous time in the past. Even if this were the case, I don't feel it's any excuse to not conduct a thorough investigation. After all, what if she bought the ticket to get away for a while and improve her mental health? There are sources out there that say she was known to take trips when she needed to clear her head, and she never actually attempted to take her life before. Tragically, her case has not been solved, and her father passed away in 2019. He founded International Cruise Victims to advocate for improved regulations on cruise ships and increase public awareness of the risks of cruise ships. Marion's case is one of many, tragically enough, and it was only after she went missing that Royal Caribbean began requiring exiting guests to swipe computerized ID cards to track when passengers disembark from the ship. It's also worth noting that this happened on Disney cruises as well, as we've mentioned in our series about Disney. Rebecca Coriam was only 24 years old when she vanished from a Disney cruise line in 2011, and there's been speculation that foul play was involved as time has gone on. While it seems obvious that further investigation is necessary and maritime investigator Bill Anderson remains convinced that a crime occurred there, he also claims there's a cult of secrecy surrounding her disappearance too. Thankfully in 2010, the Cruise Vessel Security and Safety Act was set in place that mandates reporting missing persons and alleged criminal activities, including sexual assault. It seems like an absolute embarrassment that this wasn't in place sooner. While it's fantastic that we can finally begin to have these cases reported, the numbers are alarming and show an upward trend in the amount of cruise ship crimes. Due to the pandemic, these numbers were halted, but these statistics were reported in 2019. Sexual assaults had a 67% increase from 2018 to 2019, as reported by six different cruise lines. And I understand that numbers will change drastically quarter to quarter as far as customers may go on cruises during holiday breaks, but these are year to year numbers. 
even after the CVSSA was established, it doesn't seem as if cruise ships have really taken any measures to prevent these instances from taking place. An underage girl alleged she was gang raped on a cruise in 2015 after being plied with alcohol served by ship bartenders. ABA Journal discusses the case and writes, she became obviously drunk, disoriented, and unstable in full view of crew members and monitoring security cameras. She sued Royal Caribbean for being negligent to warn its passengers about sexual assault and, you know, for literally giving her alcohol as a minor. A lower court attempted to dismiss the case, but Chief Judge Carnes reversed the decision in a court of appeals. Carnes stated, It would be absurd to suggest that a multi-billion dollar business like Royal Caribbean was not aware of congressional reports about the problem of sexual assault aboard its cruise ships. I have not been able to find a definitive conclusion to the case, but frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if this was just another case that they paid to make it go away. Massive ship scorched. More than 2,200 passengers aboard a Bahamas-bound cruise were roused by a terrifying wake-up call overnight. The emergency lifeboats have been lowered around deck right now, 3 a.m. in our life jackets. Mechanical problems caused a major cruise ship to upend a Caribbean vacation for thousands of passengers. This COVID deaths are not the only controversial type of death that it may have potentially occurred because of, our world of the day, negligence. Back in March, 2006, a fire broke out on the Star Princess cruise ship in the Caribbean, the cause of which was determined to be a cigarette. 11 people were injured, 100 plus rooms were scorched, and one man, Richard Liffage, died. A Princess spokeswoman, Julie Benson, claims that he died of a heart attack, while Victoria Liffage, his wife, called it a total cover-up. She recalled that they crawled along a passageway filled with thick black smoke when Richard told her, Vicky, don't let me die, before the couple became separated. When she identified his body, it was covered in soot from head to toe. The couple had been there to celebrate Richard's 72nd birthday. Julie Benson said that they regretted their inaccurate statement, claiming he died from a heart attack when the real cause was the fire, but the damage had been done. In the hundreds of news stories following this tragedy, they minimized their actions. As of 2021, Richard's daughter wrote in the International Cruise Victim website that her family has still never received a note, phone call, or sympathy card from Princess Cruise Lines. Also on the ICV site, there's a story of Christy and Larry Hammer, for whom the 2019 Hammer's Law I mentioned earlier is named. The couple's daughters, Jill and Kelly, told the story of how their parents flew to Peru in April, 2016 for a week-long Amazon River cruise in the La Estrella Amazonica. I probably butchered that. Built by US-based international expeditions. However, at 2 a.m. on April 10th, they were trapped inside a burning cabin. Jill and Kelly wrote, The multiple layers of failures that killed our parents are shocking. What we know now, uncovered by independent investigators, is that our parents' cabin lacked an in-room fire alarm, which could have alerted them before it was too late. One of the room's power strips, the likely cause of the fire, lacked surge protection, as well as safety and flammability ratings. Yet upon completing the boat in 2013, international expeditions representatives claims that they included everything that was really important aboard the vessel. Apparently, in-room fire alarms and surge protected power strips don't count as really important. They added that the crew of the ship themselves acted with no sense of urgency and it took 20 minutes for the crew to even notice the smoke coming out of their parents' room. Expectedly, international expeditions showed no interest in helping Jill or Kelly find answers and continued stonewalling them months after the tragedy took place. Footage does show how the crew aboard on the ship didn't even seem to notice the smoke. In a video posted just before the door to the room was opened, you can clearly see a hallway filling with smoke despite the grainy security footage. But the crew walking around either don't seem to notice it or just don't care. Even when they do notice the smoke, there's a lot of milling about or walking away from it. Personally, if I saw the scene, I'd be attempting to break down the door or running to get help, not standing around. 
Yet as a result of this, international expeditions was only fined $19,000. Plus, as Cruz law attorney Jim Walker explained, the DOSA bars the recovery of damages for pain and suffering of the victim's families. Christy and Larry were trapped in a smoke-filled room that had no fire alarm. Their daughters have been told virtually nothing about the incident. Their families will receive no compensation for their pain and suffering. The crew took 20 minutes to act and the cruise line was fined less than $20,000 for the loss of two lives. And that's wild. But this isn't the end of the issues with cruise ships, however. Earlier this year, they've experienced a surge in COVID cases and nearly every single one of the 100 cruise ships in US waters as of January, 2022 has had enough COVID cases to merit an investigation by the CDC. Warnings have been issued and ignored and these surges are still creating massive headaches for crew and passengers alike. If you want to risk your health, a cruise ship sounds like a great place right now, frankly. Of course, this still doesn't even touch upon all the issues in the industry, like their environmental impacts. They're a major source of pollution and pre-COVID, the industry was booming. Research suggested a large cruise ship had the same carbon footprint as 12,000 cars and mile for mile, a cruise ship is worse than flying in this regard. Even so, planes are an extremely high polluting mode of transport and account for 1.9% of greenhouse gas emissions and 2.5% of CO2 emissions. On the other hand, cruise lines are also notorious for lying about their environmental impact too. Several have released thousands of gallons of oily waste into the ocean and Carnival Cruise Lines had to pay $60 million in fines for conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and even lying to the US Coast Guard about secretly discharging huge amounts of oil, waste, and plastics at sea. A 2007 study found that emission factors for cruise ships journeying to New Zealand were at least three times higher than emissions factors relating to international aviation. It also doesn't help that cruise ships use the dirtiest of all fuels, making standing on the deck of a cruise ship similar to standing in one of the world's most polluted cities. There's an entire list that will of course be linked in my sources, compiling every pollution and environmental fine since 1992 that was reported in the media or in public documents. Going through the list, it's easy to see the tens of thousands to tens of millions of dollars consistently paid out by an industry that honestly doesn't seem like it cares. However, this mindset of not taking accountability can come back to bite the government too. There's one ship, the Crystal Symphony, that currently owes $4.6 million in unpaid fuel. A US judge ordered the ship to be seized, but it stayed in the Bahamas before both Crystal Symphony and Crystal Serenity were arrested in Freeport. And yes, apparently the ship itself was placed under arrest and that just means it's been seized. Truly, I believe there needs to be more regulation to reduce the impact on pollution and more regulation in terms of reporting and acting on crimes aboard the high seas. Unfortunately, as long as the cruise industry lobbies against it and receives just little slaps on the wrist for their actions, I won't be holding my breath. But with all of that being said, that's where we're ending today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. I wanna thank you so much for spending some of your time here with me today, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.